Hey, thanks for tuning in to the First Monroe podcast. For more information on our church, visit firstmonroe.com. We hope you enjoy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 5. You can turn or click to Revelation chapter 5. I'm excited about this morning, excited about, um, obviously it's Easter. And for believers, this is the most pivotal day in all of history. The day that Jesus got up from the grave. And what we'll see this morning, just as, as the choir sang and as we'll see in our text, that because of all the things that He has done, He is worthy of everything. And so let me just say this before we pray and uh, before we jump into the text, it j- just not as a warning, but just to let you know that, that this morning as we look in the text that we look at this morning, Revelation 5 has the power to change your life forever. That, that literally you can walk out of this place and you can never be the same again because all the word is, lived, is breathed out by the Holy Spirit and is profitable for all these teachings. But the passage we're going to look at and the glimpse that we get from heaven, let me just tell you this. Just as a forewarning before we pray, there's a good chance that after today your life will be changed forever. So I just want you to be warned. Because if you don't want your life changed, well, stay anyway. Uh, don't, don't leave. Um, but this is a monumental passage, one of my favorite passages in all of scriptures we look at. So let's, let's pray before we jump in. So if you're able to, if you'll kneel with me, uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. God, I ask in your mercy and your grace that you would cause this morning the veil of our hearts and our eyes to be opened, uh, that God, you would cause us to see the worthiness of Jesus today. God, as I've studied all week and and, and labored over this text, to, to, to know that this is what we need more than anything else. God, for our eyes to be opened, for us to behold and to see, Jesus, how worthy you are. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come in your power and your anointing and you would use the preaching of your word to stir our hearts and our affections for Jesus. That, Holy Spirit, you would move and you would lead us and guide us in all truth. That, Holy Spirit, you would indeed, every single one of us as we leave this place, that, Holy Spirit, you would not leave us changed. That, Holy Spirit, you would stir within us and move in us as we study your word. And, Jesus, I pray that you would be exalted. You are worthy. You're worthy of everything. And Jesus, I pray that we would see that very clearly today. Jesus, we celebrate what you have done for us. We celebrate today that you got up out of a tomb and walked out in power. That Lord, I pray we would see that. And Jesus, you would be lifted up. And that Jesus, you would draw us to yourself this morning. I pray all this and I ask this, Jesus, in your name that you would do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning just for you to think about. This is a hypothetical question, um, but I want you to think about it and just process it and think about it in your heart. Here's the question. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all of your friends and family that you've ever had on earth, all the food that you've ever liked, all the leisurely activities you've ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties that you have ever seen, all of the physical pleasures that you have ever tasted, no human conflict, no natural disaster at all, that you could be completely satisfied with this heaven if Christ were not there. 
Would you be satisfied with heaven? If you could enjoy everything that we've ever longed for for heaven, that you could have a mansion, that you could walk on streets of gold, there would be no sickness, no disease, no tears. Everything would be absolutely perfect. Here's the catch. Jesus just wouldn't be there. Would you be okay with going to that heaven? Now here's, obviously this is a hypothetical question because Jesus, heaven doesn't exist without Jesus. But I think we know what the answer should be, right? That no, we would not want to go to a heaven like that. That obviously the whole goal of heaven is to know Jesus. But here's my concern this morning. As I've studied this text and as I've processed this, is that really the, 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 the whole idea of this question, this question actually comes out of a book entitled God is the Gospel, written by a guy named John Piper. And the whole point that John Piper's trying to pull out of this is really this. What is it that you ultimately value? Because the way you answer this question really tells us what you and I ultimately value. And here's what we'll see this morning. So if you take notes, here's the main idea that we'll see from this text. And we'll repeat it over and over and over again. Is as this. Jesus Christ is worthy and to be valued above anything else. Jesus Christ is to be valued above anything else. Let me just say this. There is nothing in all of the universe that's more worthy for you to value Him above everything else except for Jesus Jesus is of the utmost value. Jesus is worthy. He is the all-satisfying Savior. Jesus is the thing that we are to desire above everything else. Here's my fear, though, that for many of us, we do not value Jesus above everything else. That for many of us, Jesus is just something in the midst of everything else that we do. That He's just something that's tagged along in our life. Maybe just fire insurance to make sure I don't go to hell and I get to heaven. But here's the thing. Jesus came to die on a cross and to be resurrected. Not so that Jesus would just be something in your life, but He would be your life. And that's the whole thing this morning. As we see in Revelation 5, this is the picture. Here's what's beautiful. Is that you and I get a glimpse of heaven. That heaven, in a sense, is opened up for us this morning. And we get to get a glimpse of the throne room of God to see this beautiful truth. Jesus is to be worthy and valued above anything else in all of creation. And here's my prayer this morning. Is that as we leave this morning, as we look at this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 5, that you and I would see this beautiful truth. That Jesus is the thing to be valued. As we walk out of this place, that we would value Jesus above everything. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to look in Revelation chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read through it, and then I'll tell you how we'll break down the passage, and then we'll jump into some points this morning. I had coffee too this morning, so I'm kind of amped up. <laughs> Revelation 5 verse 1 says this. Then I saw, this is John writing, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scrolls and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scrolls or to look in it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he went and he took the scrolls from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 
We had taken the scrolls of the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scrolls and to open up its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you have ransomed for God a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne living creatures and the elders of the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying together to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. It's a powerful, powerful passage that we get a glimpse into heaven. Here's how we'll structure the points this morning. There's really, in a sense... Three points that we'll look at this morning as we break down Revelation chapter 5. Two, the first two, are going to reveal to us why Jesus is so worthy. They keep repeating this over and over again in this passage. They keep telling us how worthy Jesus is. And so the first two things are, why is He so worthy? Why is He so worthy to be valued above everything else? And the last point will be this. What should our response be since He is this worthy? Since He is worthy to be valued above everything else in all of the universe, what should our response be to that? So... Point number one is this, if you take notes. Jesus is to be valued because he is able to fix our greatest problem. Jesus is to be valued because he fixes our greatest problem. As you've noticed, we are in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation can be rather strange at times. Uh, It is a sometimes very confusing book. But it's also a very glorious book because in the book of Revelation really reveals really this really one big truth that Jesus wins. That everything is going to be brought to completion, that Jesus is going to restore all things, that the redemptive plan that God has set into motion before the foundation of the world is coming to completion here in the book of Revelation. Now let me just say this just so that you know, there's a lot of weird things that's mentioned here. The lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Who are these four living creatures? Uh, Who who are all these uh, elders? Let me just say this. We're not going to get into that this morning, and here's why. The point is not for you to understand what these creatures are like. Your point is to see that they're pointing to something greater, and they're pointing to the worth of Jesus. And so this morning, we want to highlight that. Now, we'll talk about some of it, but let me just understand that there's a lot of things that are saying figuratively, and so we'll see that this morning, but understand if you say, well, James didn't even explain the the creatures to us this morning. There's a reason why we don't have enough time to do that, and the point is not for you to know what creatures are, but your point is to know what the creatures are saying about Jesus. And so we'll look at that this morning as we walk through this book of Revelation. So here's what John sees. John has a glimpse of the throne room. He, He is up in heaven, and he has this beautiful glimpse of this throne room of God. He sees God sitting on the throne, And he sees this thing that's in his hand. It's this scroll. It says that it's written all in it on the back, and it's been sealed with seven different seals. Now, what in the world is in these scrolls? Because obviously they're super important. Because as we see, this whole passage is about who is the one that's actually worthy enough to break the seals and who's enough to actually do what the scrolls have said. Now, I just want to say this rather simply about these scrolls. 
is in a sense what we're going to see, we won't see this morning, but what we'll see through the rest of Revelation is the things that are contained within this scroll. But if I can say it simply, it's this. The scrolls contain the sovereign plan of God about the destiny of the world, meaning this. The scrolls contain how God is going to bring his redemptive plan to completion, meaning this. There is only one person that is able to accomplish all of God's redemptive plan. God's been having this redemptive plan. He's going to bring it to completion, but they're looking for who is the person that's able to do it and has the power power enough to be able to accomplish all of God's plan. And here's what happens. We have this. This mighty angel, we don't know who the mighty angel is, and he begins to pronounce a pronouncement that echoes through all of the universe. It goes all the way to the heavens, it goes to the earth, and it even goes to under the earth, and he asks this question, who is it that's worthy to open these scrolls and to break its seven seals? Now, the scroll is sealed with seven different seals. In the Roman Empire, one of the things that they used to do with really, really important documents is that if it was whether for Caesar or whatever, is that they would seal it with seven witnesses. Now, in the book of Revelation 7, the books, uh, the number 7 is very important because it, it reminds us of perfection. Uh, and really what it's trying to say is, not just anybody can open this. This isn't just something that, that can just be casually opened. You have to be of utmost worth and utmost power to be able to even break the seals, let alone accomplish what is contained within the scrolls. And he's asking this question through all the universe, who in the world is worthy to even break the seals and who is worthy enough to accomplish all that God has planned? And it says this in verse, it says this, that there was no one. In heaven, in earth, and under the earth, there was no one worthy to be able to break the seals. And it says this, look down at verse 4. This is John, he says, And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or to look in it. This idea of this weeping here, this doesn't mean that John began to shed a few tears. This is the kind of weeping that goes deep within your soul. This is the kind of, of weeping that is this deep, sorrowful... We, it gives this picture that John is literally laying down, weeping his eyes out, because he's over this humongous issue that there is no one found worthy enough to break open the scrolls. I think we know what this weeping is like. If you've ever lost somebody or if you ever feel very great despair, you know what this looks like. This is the kind of weeping that takes place. Now, why is John weeping so much over these scrolls? Here's why John is weeping so much. It's because John knows this. If there's no one able to open the scrolls, and if there's no one able to accomplish it, that means that sin will still exist, death will still exist, and Satan and his demonic forces will continue to reign on the earth. He's weeping because if no one is able to do this, nothing changes. Everything remains as it is. And he, he, he senses this in, in his own heart. I mean, you sense this as he reads this. He begins to weep so loudly because he's saying somebody has to be able to do this. Let me just say this for all of us. This is the greatest problem that all of us face in this room. It's not your job. It's not kids. It's not grandkids. It's not finances. It's not your, any of these things. These are big problems that we have in our life. But this is not your greatest problem. Have you ever lost somebody before? I'm sure every single one of us in this room has lost somebody. You know how that feels? The deep pain that you feel when you lose someone? Here's this reminder that happens, and it's this reality of every single person in this room. You will die. And there's nothing that you can do to escape that truth. 
Here's one of the things that all of us in this room have in common. We may have grown up differently. We may wear different clothes, work at different jobs. Every single one of us will die. And the reason why we'll die is it goes back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And he, tell, he told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this will happen. You will die. Not only will you physically die, but spiritually you will be eternally separated from God. This is every single one of us in this room. I, I want you to hear this very clearly. That is your greatest need is to be reunited with God. Your greatest need is your sin. Your greatest need is this death that comes to all of us. And here's what's beautiful. As he's weeping over what to do about this solution, an elder steps forward and says this, Weep no more. You don't have to cry anymore. You don't have to be upset anymore. Guess what? There is someone that is worthy. And he says this, Weep no more. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and he can break open its seals. Saying this, there is someone who is worthy enough to break the scrolls. There is someone worthy enough to be able to accomplish this. There is someone worthy enough to fix your greatest problem and it's Jesus. Let me just say this. If you came in this morning, you don't have to weep anymore. You don't have to be without hope anymore. You don't have to have that anymore. Why? Because he is worthy enough that he has conquered death. This is this whole thing that he's trying to pull out. It's just like Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's conquered it. I love that. You don't have to weep. He's so worthy that he is now accomplished and he has fixed your greatest problem that you will ever have in this life. This is why he's that worthy. This is why he's, uh, he's worthy enough to accomplish all that God has planned. Death will be no more. Sin will be no more. Evil will be vanquished because God is worthy in the person of Jesus Christ to accomplish it. This is why Jesus is so valuable. This is why he is the thing to be treasured above anything else in this life is because he fixes our greatest problem. Number two, Jesus is to be valued because of what he did. This happens in the throne room. The throne room I love gives us a beautiful picture. It tells us over and over and over again about why Jesus Christ is so worthy and it's because of what he did on this earth. There's in a sense two things that he pulls out of why he is so worthy. Number one is this, is because he fulfilled all prophecy about the Messiah. In verse 5, he says this, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. He gives him two nicknames. He says, Jesus Christ is the line of the tribe of Judah, and he is the root of David. Now, these are two nicknames that have its root in prophecy. Now, if you go back through Genesis... There has been prophecy for thousands of years speaking of the coming king, speaking of the Messiah. In Jesus Christ, what he's trying to tell you is every prophecy that's ever been made about Jesus has been fulfilled. What he says is he brings us to, one, he says the line of Judah. This comes out of, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10, there is this spoken, Israel is speaking over his 12 sons, the tribes of Israel. As he speaks and he gets to his son Judah, he begins to speak over Judah that there will come from your, your line and your tribe a line. And the scepter will never depart from your house. Meaning this, that someone will come from the house of Judah that will literally have a kingdom that will reign forever. That it will never cease to reign. Speaking of this, and he says, guess what? Guess who Jesus is? Jesus is that line and Jesus is the one who will rule forever. 
He goes and he says, the root of David. This comes out of Isaiah 11, speaking of coming from King David's lineage. I want to read it to you out of Isaiah 11. It says, there shall come forth a shoot, and the stump of Jesse and the branch of his root shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord God shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees or decide disputes on what his ear hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide the equity of the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and breathe his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness will be the belt of his loins. Speaking of this this coming king, and he fulfills all of them. Jesus Christ is worthy, and, and this is why they begin, the elders begin to say this and name these names. and saying, hey, Jesus is the person that we've long awaited. Every prophecy we've ever heard about the coming king, Jesus Christ has fulfilled them all. He is the coming king. But it's not just that he fulfilled prophecy, but it's also because of his death and resurrection. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, between the throne, he saw four living creatures among them. And he says this, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It gives this picture, figurative picture of Jesus, and he appears to be that of a lamb. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament, one of the things that you'll see is that there's this picture of the lamb that runs the entire length of the scriptures because God, in his grace, provided a way for salvation and a way of sanctification. That was the shedding of blood. Hebrews actually says this, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so this picture of this spotless Lamb of God, meaning this, that Jesus Christ was brutally crucified and murdered in order to cover your sins. Your your and my sin had to be paid for. Either we have to pay for it, which is death, or someone else can die in our place. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb, and He was crucified for us. 1 Peter 1 says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Jesus Christ was slain. So we celebrate on Good Friday. The brutality of the cross was because that's what you deserved. When you look at the cross... Not only should you see the love of God, but you also see the justice of God, meaning this. Somebody had to pay for it. Somebody had to die. And what we see in Jesus is that one of the reasons why he's worthy is because he is the one who went to the cross to be slain. It says this over and over again. And look, worthy are you to take the scrolls and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God. How are people ransomed back to God? How are people brought? It's only by the blood of Jesus. He says this, he says, and notice, it's not just an American thing, it's not just a West thing, it's a global thing. From every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, Jesus is gathering together the church from every corner of the earth to spend eternity with Christ and to worship Him forever. Hence, that's why we need missions. Because we've got to get this news to every corner of the earth because he says this, God is going to ransom together from every tribe and language and tongue. Again, he says this in verse 12. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. Do you get why Jesus is so worthy? He's worthy because he was slain for you. He was crucified for you. He was put to the cross for you. But thankfully, he didn't stay on the cross. And thankfully, he didn't stay in the grave because also it points out of his resurrection. Look what it says. Verse 6. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Meaning this. It's not slain anymore. It was slain, 
Meaning this, you have this picture that he's not in the tomb anymore. John's seeing him at the throne room of God. He's seeing the resurrection. He sees the scars. He sees this thing as it was slain. It's not slain anymore. He is now conquered. He is now resurrected. Because of the resurrection, he now has power. It says this, the seven eyes, the seven horns. What, is, what does all that mean? Again, the seven means a sign of perfection, meaning this, that Jesus has all, all power and authority to accomplish everything that God has ever planned. Because he is the resurrected king, as we celebrate today, means this, that Jesus Christ is worthy to be valued above anything else in this life. Jesus Christ was crucified with you, and Jesus Christ got up for you. It's because he was resurrected, he is worthy. Again, I mean, just, you, you get this picture. Heaven will not quit talking about it. They keep proclaiming it over and over. He was slain. He is conquered. He looks as though he had been slain. It's like getting the point. Do you get the point of why Jesus is so worthy? It's because of what he accomplished. This is why we are to value him above anything else. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Number three, last is this. And this is our response. And it's this truth. Number three, you will worship what you value. Number three, you will worship what you value. Because Jesus is so worthy, because He is the thing to be valued above all creation, He is therefore worthy of all worship. This is what takes place in heaven, worship. Worship begins to erupt in heaven. So much so they begin to write new songs. They begin to sing super loud. Let me just say this if I can. I want you to know what motivates and prompts people to worship. It's Jesus and who He is and what He's done. This is to be the prompt and this is to be the motivation of all of our worship. Let me just say this. It wasn't because they had a choir or a band. It wasn't because they sang a hymn or contemporary music. It wasn't because they had a good day or a bad day. Notice why they worshiped. They worshiped because Jesus is worthy of it. So this concerns me about the church today is so preference driven of I want my preference met. Notice in heaven, nothing is concerned about preference. They're so caught up in the worthiness of Jesus, they just erupt into worship. They can't help but worship because when you come in contact and recognize the beauty of who Jesus is, you don't care preferences. All you want to do is worship. Not that we have things backward, but notice sometimes we use music to get us to worship. Notice they start worshiping and then worship just happens. They just begin to sing because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. They erupt into worship. Notice, they write a new song. I love an author said this. God will never cease to give us new reasons to praise Him for all eternity. We're going to continue to write new songs to God. Why? Because He's worthy of it. He says this, they begin to write a new song. They say this, Worthy are you to take the scrolls and open its seals. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign forever. Then more people start to join in. It's not just the the animals, and it's not just these creatures or the elders. The angels join in. Look what it says. Around all of them, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads on myriads and thousands of thousands. A myriad is 10,000, so that's 10,000 times 10,000, which I believe is 100 million And here's the point. It's not so that we would calculate it and figure out what it is. Here's what he's saying. There's an innumerable, immeasurable amount of angels that are constantly at the throne room every single hour, every single second, continually offering up praise to God because he's that worthy of it. 
couple uh, months ago, I was at a conference of pastors. I think there was like 5,000 of us at this pastor's conference. And it was, for me, just this awesome time of worship because we were gathered in this humongous sanctuary. And as we were worshiping, the people in the congregation were singing so loud, you couldn't hear the person leading or you couldn't hear the choir. You couldn't hear them because people out there were singing so loud. And here, just to think, when I heard 5,000 people singing, how it brought chills on my whole body to think, man, this is amazing. What we have the picture of heaven is this infinite amount of angels with a loud voice declaring all together, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory forever. Then more people join in. The creatures of heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea. To him who sits on the throne, belong, to the Lamb belongs blessing and honor and glory and might and power forever and ever. Amen. This is what happens when you begin to recognize the beauty and the worth and the value of Jesus. Worship happens. It's natural. When you value something that much, there is nothing you can't help but worship. So here's a question that I want to ask you. What is it that you worship? Or I could ask the question maybe this way. What is it that you ultimately value? Because the thing that you value is the thing that will motivate you to worship. I was really convicted about this this week. Because Revelation 5, as I was studying it, reading through it, I... I, It's like it gives us a glimpse into heaven to see how worthy really Jesus is. And do you and I also value Jesus that much? Lou Giglio, in in his book called The Air I Breathe, it's a book on worship. I want to listen, I want you to listen to what he said because I think this helps us think through this idea of what is it that we worship, what is it that we value. Here's what he says Think of it this way Worship is simply about value. The simplest definition I can give of is, is this. Worship is our response to what we value most. That's why we worship in all the things that we do. It's what we have been about on any given day. Worship is about saying this person, this thing, this experience, this whatever is what matters most to me. And this is the thing that has the highest value in my life. That thing can be a relationship, a dream, a position, status, something you own, a name, a job, some kind of pleasure, whatever name you put on it, this thing is what you have concluded in your heart is to be of utmost value to you and whatever is worth the most to you, you guessed it. That's the thing that you'll worship. He goes on to say this. So how do we know where and what we worship? He says it's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affections, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. And at the end of that trail, you will find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is the thing of highest value to you. On that throne is the thing that you worship. Is it Jesus? All week... um, I've been praying over this text and praying from my heart. And really, this is the prayer I've been praying from my heart and I've been praying for yours. Is I think what's needed more than anything else is for you and I to really see the worthiness of Jesus.
I want to say this, and I think this probably relates to a lot of us. If this is your first time to ever come to an Easter service, I hope you hear it from me. I'm glad you're here. But I would be willing to bet that most of us in this room have been to an Easter service before. Most of us have heard that Jesus Christ was crucified for you. Most of us have heard that Jesus Christ got up for you. And here's what's crazy, and this was convicting in my own heart. For many of us, we still remain unmoved by it. It's just something that's in our head. It's a day we know we maybe dress up a little more than most. It's a day we maybe hunt Easter eggs and wear pastels and linen and seersucker. It's a day that the Easter bunny. It's all of these things. And here's what was crazy that I was thinking about in my own life. Do we really value Jesus? Because what we see, heaven tells us very clearly that He is to be valued above everything else in our life. Every relationship, every job, every money, anything in our life, Jesus Christ is, to be, is worthy to be valued above it all. And my question for my heart and yours is, is that true? Here's what's been frustrating me all week, and then I'll pray. I'll pray for us. It's just as I said earlier, a lot of us have probably sat through Easter services. I told the Lord this, which is really frustrating. The thing that's going to help you recognize the worthiness of Jesus is not a sermon. I I tried to do a good job today. Uh, I tried to work hard and study hard. But But you've heard a lot of really good Easter sermons before. You've heard a lot of really great music today. You've heard beautiful singers that have sung about the praises of Jesus. But really, you don't need singing. You don't need a sermon. But really, what you need more than anything, and we read it in our life group class today, is when these two guys' disciples were walking with Jesus, Jesus began to explain to them after the resurrection. And it says this beautiful verse, that their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Here's what's needed more than anything else today in your life. It's not that you would try harder it's not that you would work harder. Is that your eyes would be open to see really how beautiful Jesus is. That He is the all-satisfying Savior. That there is nothing in this life that's more beautiful, more worthy of your life, energy, and effort than the person of Jesus Christ. And I can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can do that in you. My prayer all week has been, God, would you... This has been my prayer for my heart. God, would you shake me to my very core... That God, in this place, God, would you save sinners? Would, would sinners become saved? Would people, Christians that are apathetic, become God on fire for you? Would, would, would people that are in sin, would they come out of it? Not because of anything I said, but because of who Jesus is. And my prayer today is that when you walk out of this place, you wouldn't say, you know, the preacher, he did okay. The singer, he did really good. The choir did really good. And you walk out, my prayer is that you'd walk out and say, our Jesus is wonderful. And our Jesus is all satisfying. And our Jesus is worthy of everything that I've ever been. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy of my identity. He's worthy of every fiber of my being. And that you and I as a church would worship Him. Because that's what's taking place right this very moment in heaven. Jesus is receiving His worship. And here's what's crazy. is You've been invited into that. But will you? Let's pray. God, I ask you in these moments, 
that you would stir our hearts. Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes. That that just as when, when, when Jesus, when you were crucified, just as the veil was torn, that God, the veil over our hearts and our eyes, that God, you would begin to peel back the veil, that God, you would help us in these moments, God, to get a glimpse. God, of how worthy, how beautiful, God, how valuable you are. God, I know that I can't do that. God, I can't make my own heart do it. So God, that's why I ask for your mercy and grace in these moments. God, if there is someone in this place that is not, that has never turned to you for salvation, God, I pray in these moments that you would help them to see that the thing that they have longed for their entire life, whether they've put it off, God, whether they've made excuses, whether they've had questions or debates or whatever it is, that God, I pray in these moments that you would help them to see this glorious Jesus. God, that you would draw them to yourself. That, God, you would save them and rescue them from their their greatest problem, their sin. God, that you would bring them and ransom them to be a part of your people in these moments. God, I pray for for believers in this room. There are many believers, even my own heart, God, that, that I become apathetic to the things of you. That, God, I become calloused and cold to the things of you. And, God, I pray that in these moments, you would help us to see you. God, you would uncallous our hearts. God, you would set our hearts, in a sense, ablaze and on fire for you, that, God, you would help us to be motivated by you. God, I pray if there's someone in this place that is called in sin, that, God, I would pray you would help them to see that you are far better than any pleasure or any sin that exists in this world. That, Jesus, in these moments, that, Holy Spirit, you would move in us and draw us to yourself and help us to see who you are. Because, Jesus, you are worthy. God, I pray we would join with heaven to recognize your value and your worth. And God, to join in this worship that will last forever. God, you are worthy of it. So God, I thank you for what you have accomplished. And God, you will one day make it right. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I pray you would move in us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.